Greetings and salutations to you all. This is Dee Dee Moonflyer. Welcome to Twilight Tonic, your weekly voyage to points distant and parts unknown. We'll discuss all things paranormal, spiritual, weird, and wonderful. So if you're ready, grab your favorite tonic, your best comfy chair, and let's begin. Welcome to Twilight Tonic. Happy October, everybody. And tonight I have my Halloween guest and I am very excited about this. He is one of my favorite podcasters and there's many reasons why. But he started podcasting in 2005, the Paranormal Podcast, um, the Campfire, which is one of my favorites. And he even has his family in on this. And I love the one that his daughter does, Unpleasant Dreams with Cassandra Harold. So, thank you. Oh my gosh, Jim, it is an honor to have you. And there are so many reasons I could just spout off all night why. Well, that's very kind, but it's a pleasure to be here. And thank you so much for inviting me. You're welcome. And I have a few questions that or you probably get all the time, but. I think there is a reason why many of us are so attracted to the paranormal, the unknown. And I know you're of my generation because I'm the person that watched In Search of when I was a little girl. I'm the person that watched Sightings and all Mm -hmm. of those, you know, shows and Chariots of the God books. And my mom was into Edgar Cayce, which she studied throughout, you know, my whole life. And... I just, when I found that out about you, I even respected you more. So did you have experiences growing up in the paranormal? Uh, You know, later on, uh, as life went on, I had like some very synchronistic things. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have what you would call typical uh, paranormal experiences growing up. But what I did have was a family who was very working class, very feet on the ground, Mm -hmm. but they had experiences that they shared with me. I grew up with those stories, and I think you throw in a little bit of Leonard Nimoy with In Search Of, as you said, (laughs) sightings and unsolved mysteries. We can't forget that. Oh, yeah. And then you throw in a dash of a love for technology and broadcasting, and you mix it up, and you kind of end up where I've ended up. And, uh, but to me... (sighs) You know, I'm a great respecter of science. I mean, we couldn't do what we're doing right now with this recording without science. Uh, Science is great, but there are some things I maintain, and I've always felt this way, that science does not explain, at least science as of this, uh, this recording. Right. And I've always thought there's more to the world than just what we can weigh on a scale or measure in a test tube. And it was funny when I started podcasting back in 2005, and it's hard to believe that's <laughs> that'll be 20 years. But when I started, I thought, oh, you know, this will be great because, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I could do this six months and I can talk to all of these smart people about uh-huh. these things and I will have all the answers. And guess what? (laughs) (laughs) It's a never-ending story. (laughs) uh, That's right. I do not have the answers. But uh, again, uh, it's one of those things. I love the journey. I love talking about these things. I'm still as fascinated as I ever was by it. Yeah, it's like a lifetime study. Yes. Yes, it is. And it used to bother me because I used to think, you know, oh, you know, as I'm getting older and I'm never going to have the answers, but that doesn't bother me as much now. Mm-hmm. I think it's just as important to um, have the discussions, to to think on these things, to think of the possibilities. So, yeah, I'd love to have the answer, but I'm not down that I don't or I probably won't. Right. I I think it's almost impossible for us to get an answer at this point. And I yeah, was raised and, and, in this and I, I'm still baffled. Yeah, yeah, because it's real. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that's the thing. I think, you know, sometimes being, uh, you know, he does podcasts because that's his job, that's his business, and all of those things. It is my job, and it is my business. But it's still my fascination, and the subject <laughs> is still my fascination legitimately. And one of the things that I did right when I started, and I did a lot of things wrong, <laughs> but <laughs> the one thing I did right is I said, you know, if I'm going to podcast, I've got to pick a topic I'm really interested in, sincerely, not just something I'm doing this to do a podcast. And I thought of all the different things, and I said, you know, a thing I'm really interested in. And this was even a little bit before the paranormal shows on TV got really oh, hot. Oh, yeah. He <laughs> said, um, you know, it's the paranormal. And to me, paranormal means means everything from ghosts to UFOs to cryptid creatures to what I call head scratchers. How mm -hmm. did uh, the gentleman down in Florida build Cor Coral Castle? What was the deal with Stonehenge? So when I talk about the paranormal, I have a very broad definition and a very big tent to, to look at all of these different subjects. It's not just ghosts, although that's a fascinating part of it. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I don't know about you, even though I love this so much, I still have a little bit of skepticism. I would say oh, yeah. stretching out its mainly fascination and believability because of everything that I've heard and seen in my lifetime. But there's always that little part of me that has to be like, wait a minute, whoa. And how do you balance your your skeptical side with that great big side of you. Yeah, I do definitely try to do that. And I think that's smart. I mean, when people, for example, my show, Jim Harold's Campfire, which is probably my most uh, popular show, people yeah. call in and tell their stories. I mean, it, it, it's kind of contextual and it's situational. In there, I don't bring out my skeptical side at all in the sense that somebody is valuing us enough to publicly share their story. Some people are nervous, Absolutely. maybe. And I've had people say, I've never told this to anybody and here I'm telling it to Jim. Mm -hmm and thousands of people will hear this. So I'm very respectful, and I believe the vast, vast majority of people calling in uh, are very legitimate, and mm, they're being yeah. very straight, and they're telling me what happened. Now, that's a little bit different approach than I take maybe with, if I'm interviewing an author ha who has a theory about ghosts, mm. or a theory about UFOs, or whatever it might be, or Bigfoot. I just had one of those the other day. And I'd said, you know, for example, Bigfoot is one of those things that I'm probably more on the fence about that than any other subject we cover. One day I think, yeah, there's something to it. And the next day I'm like, well, they've never found a body. They never found, at least mainstream scientists has never acknowledged finding remains or anything. So maybe I'm skeptical today and don't think it exists. So, uh, you know, I take a little bit different approach, whether I'm interviewing someone who is positing a theory and putting that forth and writing a book and those kind of things. Uh, maybe I'm a little more skeptical with them. Not confrontational. Right. A little more skeptical. Um, and then with storytellers, I'm just very accepting. And, and again, I think there's something to many of these stories. I think the vast, vast majority of people believe what they're saying. Now, I do have a little technique I use when I'm skeptical about something. Yeah. And I always think this is... Um, kind of fun. Um, there was uh, people our age will remember Mike Wallace from 60 Minutes. Yep. <laughs> and there's a very famous um, exchange where he was uh, interviewing the Ayatollah Khomeini from Iran. Now, obviously, he's here in Iran sitting with the Ayatollah Khomeini. And, you know, if these guys got angry with him, they could kill him at any time. Mm -hmm. uh, but yet he's interviewing him. He's trying to be Mike Wallace. So he had this question. I forget what the actual question was, but it went, it was something along the lines of, you know, your high holiness, you know, I would never say this. Far be it from me. But yeah. some people would say you're a cold-blooded killer. Now, what would you say to those people? You know, and uh, because, you know, he's kind of trying to say, I'm not saying it. Other people say it, so don't kill me. But what would you, how would you answer that? So, you know, sometimes what I'll do if I'm with an author, uh, I will say, and either, even if I'm kind of, you know, vibing with what they say and agree with what they say, or I disagree because really what I think one way or the other doesn't matter for that show. Uh, it's about bringing the theories out there and letting people decide for themselves. But I'll say something like, you know, I, I have one guy claim that he teleported and I could say something like, uh, and, and by the way, 
I had a pretty high level of skepticism on that. But, you know, some people might say that's a pretty incredible claim. They don't believe that you've actually teleported. What would you say to those people? So that's a little technique I use to slip in a skeptical question here and there without being uh, too confrontational or too, uh, you know, too Mike Wallacey. Yeah, absolutely. And I I do get that 100%. Absolutely. Now, Jim, you know, this is one question. I feel very comfortable asking you. There is a lot of entertainment genres with the paranormal, obviously. And there's a fine line between entertainment and ethnicity to to like the truth and sounding sincere. And you have a very wonderful way of doing that. Like when I listen to you, you're entertaining, but you're sincere. It's authentic. Thank you. How how do you how did you develop that you develop that so wonderfully i just try being myself i mean in the sense that i think that i tend to be an empathetic person so i want to be empathetic to people i do kind of uh fall on more of the believer side but yet you know i have a uh i went to school and have a master's degree so i'm understand i understand you know i'm not a scientist but i understand the basic scientific process and uh you know correlation doesn't necessarily mean causality and those kind of things so i always just try to uh authentically be real and, and come from where i'm coming from and uh you know uh i guess there's no better way of being authentic than telling the truth yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. It's like not 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 trying to not trying to be authentic, but just being authentic. Yeah. And I always say, and I've said this on the shows, if I, if I, if if I were like a gas gauge in terms of belief, I'm about three quarters full. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also say, and I'm not the person that invented this saying, but have an open mind, but not so open your brains fall out. <laughs> and I think that it's important to be empathetic, but still say, you know, sometimes that UFO in the sky is a Starlink satellite. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, but again, I think that you can strike the balance and uh, be welcoming, be reassuring, and still be intelligent about things. I just try to be myself, and I, I hope that comes across. Absolutely does. Absolutely. What, you know, you have so many stories. I've, he- I've heard you for years now. And one of the things that affected me the most were the black-eyed children. Yes. Oh my gosh. I think that night, I can remember it so vividly. I was done with dance rehearsal. I came home and I I always listen to you when I'm like in the bed, falling asleep, reading a book or something. And the black eyed children came on. I had goosebumps. (laughs) I was like, oh my, I don't want to think about them. What if it happens? (laughs) How do you feel about that? I mean, that was a scary story. It seems to be one of the most incredible things out there. And I mean, if I didn't have the opportunity to speak to the original experiencer, kind of like the patient zero of black eyed kids, I might be less likely to believe it. But I got a chance to speak to Brian Bethel. I've interviewed him a couple of times, uh, a journalist down in Texas. And in the 90s, he was... Uh, you know, this tells you how long ago it was. He was writing out a check mm-hmm. to, to put in a mailbox for a bill. And uh, he had his car parked near a uh, theater. And there was a movie, and I forget what movie it was, but the movie was almost over. And these kids knocked on his uh, car, and it was the Black Eyed Kids. And they were saying, could you give us some money for the movie? We'd really like to see the movie. Well, the movie was almost over. And just all this nonsensical stuff. And uh, the thing was, he came across, uh, and the idea of people aren't familiar, Black Eyed Kids are these kids who present themselves. Mm-hmm. Usually they're asking to come into your house, come into your car. They're, when they say Black Eyed Kids, not like somebody punched them. Right. Their eyeballs are solid black. And it's kind of almost uh, a cousin to like the the men in black, mm-hmm. kind of like some of the weirdness, the kind of stuff that happened with Mothman prophecies and John Keel. But I, I mean, Brian uh, told this story, uh, and uh, as far as I know, continues to to share the story. 
He's kind of the patient zero, as I said. And if anything, he would have something to lose being a journalist by sharing this story. Yet he stands by the story uh, 100%. And then I've had the opportunity to speak to other people along with researchers and authors like David Weatherly, if you're interested. Black Eyed Kids. David Weatherly has done some great books on it. Um, That this seems to be a thing that people have these experiences where they'll be in their house or their car and one or more kids with solid black eyeballs will knock on their door uh, or their car door and they'll, they'll ask to come in and they'll always ask for something, some kind of help. Mm -hmm. Uh, And maybe that's because we're kind of programmed to help children, which makes sense. You want to help kids. And, but the thing is they will always ask things that are kind. They won't, barge in if you don't let them you have to let them in uh but they'll always ask things that are kind of nonsensical like uh um i have a hot dog i need some mayonnaise for it you know things don't quite make sense right and the the lore is is that if you let them in bad things happen to you you get sick mm-hmm. um you know there's been talk that maybe people die uh, or some kind of misfortune will befall them i think there was a story we had in the campfire, and this is from the far recesses of my my brain. <laughs> so I have it exactly right where a woman or her husband lets a black-eyed kid in their truck, and they ended up having later on uh, car problems, a car accident, all these things happen. Mm. So the question is, if they do exist, which I think there's a decent chance that they do, mm-hmm. what are these black-eyed kids? What do they represent? And what do they want? Yeah. And I don't know the answer to that. It, it seems like also a very close cousin to the idea of the jinn, which yeah. uh, is a frightening thing to me. And the great uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley uh, wrote a book on the jinn. Mm-hmm. And I heard her describe it in a talk once as the jinn. Uh, and if that sounds somewhat familiar, if you're not familiar, it's kind of where the idea of the genie came from, right? Right. Uh, for Middle East. And the jinn, the idea with the jinn is it can be a trickster. So it can present itself uh, in different ways to try to trick you in some ways. And it has nefarious uh, goals. But one thing Rosemary said was, is that the jinn um, will present itself as something else, but it's never 100% right. It's a little bit off. Yeah. And I always thought about that parallel between that and the black eyed kids. Something's not quite right. Something's a little off. They're asking for mayonnaise for their hot dog, you know, right. things that. And I do have a quick story about the gin, if you want me oh, to tell you. I would love it. Yeah, this is this is one of those things that may have been a mere coincidence, a mere coincidence, D. But it was one of those things that I didn't really feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Uh, if you've listened to the show for years, you'll be yeah. familiar with the late, great Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Yes. Um, she was the best, the nicest person, and uh, one of the best authors on these subject matters of anybody. Yes. And she had she... written a book uh, about the gin, and I interviewed her on it uh, in April of uh, 2013. Mm-hmm. Later that night, after the interview, and, and Rosemary also had a very nice habit. Every time she was interviewed on the show, she always sent me a book. Now, I get a lot of books because of the show, and sometimes I will donate them or give them away or whatever. But there's certain authors that I hang on to, Nick Redfern, Rosemary, Mm -hmm. Brad Steiger. I always keep all their books. So I had this gin book, and we did this interview. And then later that night, I got a call that my uncle passed. An uncle who was very, very close to me, like a second dad. Now, he had been ill, but I don't think anybody expected him to die anytime soon. Well, that was kind of troubling, but you could you could kind of chalk it up to a coincidence. Mm-hmm. And two weeks later, my mother, totally out of the blue, nobody knew there was anything wrong. She died. Wow. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, it was a tough time. Uh and I end up literally throwing that gin book in the garbage. Now, I'm not saying that the book was necessarily cursed or whatever, mm-hmm. but I've done enough of these shows where you kind of think, okay, well, let me be a little bit careful here. So mm-hmm. I guess that should tell people if I'm a believer or not. I'm enough of a believer to say, 
let's not tempt fate. I don't need this book around. Yeah. Not that, you know, in fact, I highly recommend Rosemary's books, buy them all. But uh, that book for me uh, scared me. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to get rid of this just in case it's uh, bringing, uh, bringing me some bad juju. Yeah. No, I, I completely understand that. I completely understand that. So, Jim, what inspired you to do the campfire? I mean, well, that's actually, awesome. Yeah. Well, it really was an accident, a happy accident, because honestly, if it wasn't for the campfire, I couldn't do this full time. Because I think that's, if people don't know what that is, that's a show where every week we do 90 minutes of listener stories. The listeners come on, they tell their story. And I ask a interject a question here and there, but it's mainly them just recounting their stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this must have been in uh 2009, I'd been doing the Paranormal Podcast for almost four years, and I had a week I didn't have a guest. And I thought, you know what? What am I going to do this week for a show? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll do listener spooky stories. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, I did it, and people loved it. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but this is an, its own show. And that's basically how it came ba- back. It came out, and to be honest with you, if I had not done that, I would have never been able to do this full time. That is the show that kind of made it possible to do this full time because people just did resonated with people. And I think mm-hmm. the reason it does is everyone has a story. Yeah. Even you, you could talk to a skeptic and say, you know, a hardcore skeptic. Oh, I don't believe in any of this stuff. <laughs> oh, it's so much, you know, whatever. Yeah. But there was this one time, and then they proceed to tell you their story. So I think it's just universal. I think we all have spooky stories. I think on some level, most of us really believe that there is something else to life rather than, like I said before, mm-hmm. what you can weigh on the scale or measure in a test tube. And I think that show resonates with everybody or most people for that reason. I, and I think, too, when people get to talk about it, they hide so much of that, but if they're comfortable, you make them feel very comfortable telling their story. And I think yeah, that's I think, very important. Well, thank you. I, I, it's one of those things where I feel almost an obligation in the sense that, hey, you're being vulnerable. You're sharing your story with me. I'm going to be very accepting and very open to what you have to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's, I just think that's kind of my job. And when I first started the show, I thought, oh, this will be cool. It'll be like sitting around a campfire and telling spooky stories. And it is that, but in a way, and again, there's other shows that do something similar. And of course, for years, although I have to say, I never even thought of it when I started this, but there was Ghost to Ghost from uh, Coast to Coast AM. There's before they did that special every year. But I didn't even think of that when I started. I just needed a show for that week. But uh, so I'm not saying it's just my show, but I think this show and shows like it, um, it's more than just telling spooky stories. That's part of it. But the other part is a place where people, as you said, they can feel safe. They can feel uh, respected. Uh, they can feel they're not being made fun of. And, and we're very lucky because that actually extends. We have a big Facebook group. Uh, for the show, uh, Jim Harold's Virtual Campfire Group, and has over 25,000 members. Yeah. And uh, we have a couple of uh, mods on there, and I kind of check things out as well. But amazingly, people are so nice. They're not like, oh, that's a bunch of BS or anything like that. I mean, they're very accepting. They're very nice. Uh, and I'm just amazed to be able to have a group of that size of uh, online for anything these days and have, you know, kind of like almost, uh, what's the word I'm like exemplary behavior from people. I'm just like, (laughs) it's great. (laughs) I'm really lucky that people are so nice and so kind. And we try to keep that away and of course that way. And of course, if we get someone who's behaving badly, we kick them out without exception. Uh, but that. I'll tell you, that happens, I could probably count on one hand the times that happens a year. It's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so funny, too, because I'm the kind of person, if there's drama, I'm running. I'm gone. Well, no, there's, my feeling about that, for example, with the campfire group, there's plenty of places for that. And that's yeah. why I also intentionally don't talk about politics on the show. I, I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with a political show if you want to have a political show. And, and I have my own beliefs. But to me, 
the paranormal is for everybody. And I don't want to exclude one group of people or another group of people or this people or those people. I want everybody of all nationalities, of all orientations, uh, of all socioeconomic statuses to feel equally comfortable that they could come around the campfire and listen to the shows. And we're going to talk about spooky stuff. There's plenty of places to go where you could get politics and that's okay. I mean, that's good. I think it's good to have strong political discussion in the appropriate places and to be able to follow that. That's part of being a citizen and all that. Sure. I pay attention to that stuff too. But this space is for the spooky. This space is for the paranormal. And that stuff should be dealt with, but just not in this space. Absolutely. For me. me. Absolutely. 100%. And I I enjoy listening to that show like weekly. It is, I listen to you like twice to three times a week. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Well, that's, you know, that's 90 minutes every week we do. Uh, We just put out earlier this month, uh, about mid-month, we put out... uh, uh, we put a poll up on the virtual campfire mm-hmm. of people's favorite stories over the last, well, campfire's been going since 2009, the last 14 years. And they voted and we put those in. And that was over, I think it was like two hours and 19 minutes. Mm-hmm. And what was cool about that is you could tell the older stories because the audio wasn't quite, <laughs> quite as good, but there were some real <laughs> gems in there. And we took stories and they're probably about a dozen stories, maybe 10 stories. And just... uh and, and some of those stories, I'll be like, oh, I forgot about that one. How could I forget about that one? And just amazing to see, hear some of the incredible things that have happened to people. I know, it, it's incredible. And I think it is, it makes other people feel like, hey, it's okay. And when I talk to people and introduce them, I go, you got to listen to the campfire. And they're like, why? And I'm like, no, you've got to listen to it. You'll love it, even if you're a believer or not. Thank you. Thank you for and that. Go ahead. I just think, and I tell them, I said, there is no judgment. That's the best part. Whatever right. you think or feel, but listen to it because it's people that come in on there that didn't believe in it themselves until it happened to them. Yeah. And I have people say, you know, this happened to me. I still don't believe it, but mm-hmm. it did happen. Absolutely. You know, I'll give you an example. And, um, you know, uh, and this is very instructive. This is one of those stories I was telling you about when I grew up. Uh, my dad had always told this. Now, my dad was a steel worker, and uh, the uncle that I mentioned passed. He and my dad lived in an apartment, and this had to be in the early 60s. And they lived up over a bar, and they were two young guys. Uh, were from the Cleveland, Ohio area, so they were working mm-hmm. in the steel mills. They were probably, I would say, in their mid-20s. Uh, two big burly guys have been football players in high school and stuff. So anyway, one night they're in this modest, I think two or three room apartment over a bar. (laughs) We're just starting out. And my dad wakes up and there's this old man leaning over him, smiling. And my dad, you know, six foot tall, probably then I figure he's about 210, Mm -hmm. a big muscle, took a big swing because he's like, somebody's in my apartment. Nothing. He came up with air and he's yelling, screaming, my uncle, because my uncle was real acerbic, kind of, uh-huh. you know, like, what are the, blah, 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 you know, expletive, expletive, deleted. Uh, what's going on? What are you talking about? It's like, there was a guy in here. There was a guy in here and he was over the, the, the bed. We better look. We better find him. Uh-huh. And they looked around. There was nobody in there. And it's like, my uncle's like, oh, you're just dreaming. You're just dreaming. About two weeks later. My dad's asleep. My my uncle's in the other bedroom. All of a sudden, my dad wakes up to this big commotion. (laughs) Get out of here. The same guy was looking over uh, my uncle and my uncle had the same reaction. My uncle was probably 6'2 and about 220. Mm -hmm. And he swung and he missed too. There was nothing there. And both those guys, my dad's still with us. He's 88 Wow. Uh, bless him. Um, my uncle, unfortunately, as I said, passed. Mm-hmm. But they both told the same story their whole lives. Exactly the same story. Never changed from the time I was five years old. These were steel workers. These were salt of the earth guys. They weren't like, you know, trying to get in touch with the oneness of the universe. Uh, and <laughs> they just were regular folks who experienced something. 
And to me, I think that informed my sense and that, and, and that was so consistent. That story was always the same. Yes. It was never changed. It was never embellished. And I'm like, they're telling the truth. This did mm-hmm. happen. Turns out my dad believes the guy may have been an older man who frequented the bar who had passed away. Uh, that's kind of his theory because he didn't recognize sure. him. But, but the point being, the point being, uh, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. Real people telling real stories. Yes. And those are the best stories ever. I oh, know, yeah. you know, right up to when my mom passed in 2019, she had the same story. The same story she told throughout her life, and it was it was really funny because I remember I remember the day before she passed, it was still the same UFO story. Yeah, over and over. Yeah, my mom and dad had a UFO story. Ooh, tell. Um, this one I just told uh, at a live event la- a week ago uh, tonight as we record this. Mm-hmm. Um. So anyway, my family, I grew up in Cleveland and I'm still in the Northeastern Ohio area, Mm -hmm. but my family, my mom and dad were originally from West Virginia. My grandparents were from West Virginia. So anyhow, this is probably to give you an idea of how old I am. It's probably a year too old. And this was in the early Mm seventies and uh, we were visiting uh, my grandparents in West Virginia and they decided that they were going to go out on a car ride and they were going to leave little Jimmy with grandma. So that's what they did. So they drove out to this secluded area um, and they were parked. Now, D, I don't want to know why. But anyway, <laughs> they, I, I have no idea. I'm sure they were just looking and disgusting and discussing the stars. Yeah. But uh, the, the, the point being that, you know, a rural area people who are familiar with rural areas, it's not like the nighttime in the city because nighttime in the city, you've got lights. It's like, it's like pitch black dark. So they're parked, you know, probably, I don't know, maybe a a half a mile, a mile from the nearest paved road. Mm -hmm. I think you had to go down a dirt road to get to this area. And they're looking up at the sky, contemplating the universe. And then the whole sky lights up. And it stays lit up for about 30 to 60 seconds. And my dad said this was, he had like an old school 68 Buick LeSabre land yacht with the big speedometer across the (laughs) the dashboard and the clock with the hands, the analog clock. And he said that it lit up that whole dashboard uh, for 30 to 60 seconds, just like it was daylight. By the way, my mom who passed said exactly the same thing. And my dad was always interested in things like in search of and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. My mom had no interest in any of that. So, uh, for my mom to say it was like a triple verification, you know, well, she says it, she's not making it up. Then my dad said he saw, my mom did not see this, but my dad saw, he looked out the window and he said he saw a, what he called a man with a welding mask who had his hand up. Huh. Interesting. And then with that, he said, let's get out of here. And he peels out and starts to go down the road. And then the words of my mother in her West Virginia twang said, then Jimmy, we saw the biggest bunch of birds on the banks I ever seen in my life. (laughs) And huge wingspans and those kind of things. Wow. They fully expected the next day they got home, my dad said he told my mom, don't tell anybody about this. They'll think we're nuts. Mm-hmm. He thought they'd see something on TV about, you know, something that happened, explosion or something that causes like nothing. Now, in later years doing these shows, I talked to different authors and things and it occurred to me that maybe at least some of what they experienced were screen memories. Mm-hmm. For, for example, the big birds, were those really birds? Yeah. Were they, you know, were they aliens? You mm-hmm. know? That man in, quote, the welding mask, what was that all about? It just seemed very Mothman-like, you know, very kind of Mothman prophecies. Yeah. And it was in a different part of West Virginia than the Silver Bridge collapse. So it was in a totally different part of the state. And it was probably three or four years removed from that. But just kind of the the parallels always got to me. And again... That story along, and there were just two stories. There were just two stories, two great stories, but two stories. Same when I was five years old as when I was, you know, up until this day with my dad. And when my mom passed, she told the same story. My uncle told the same story about the guy in the apartment. Always the same, never changed one iota. Always consistent. Yep. 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 
my mom was always consistent with her stories, always. And I always waited for her not to be consistent. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? I'd be like, right. okay. And same story from yep. beginning to end. And I'd be like, yep, it happened. It must have happened, you know? Yeah. And and many times, you know, we had a great, and you're probably familiar, we had a great story called The Roadhouse Saloon on Campfire. I love that story. That's one of my oh. favorites it, and where, the, where the drawing kept changing. Yeah. And with this story, it was so compelling that me and a camera person went up to Michigan to meet with uh, T.I., the storyteller, and we uh-huh. actually, and you can find this on my YouTube channel. She gave about a 15, 20-minute recounting of the whole story in greater depth. And um, the thing was is that I believed her when I talked to her over the phone. Right. And this must have been, I don't know, 2011, 20, probably about 2010, 2011. Believed her then. When I saw her in person and met her, I believed her more. Respected profession. Uh, you know, just walk in the house. It's just like America. It's like, uh, you know, uh, mom and apple pie. Right. Uh, just very kind of what you would consider. And it, I guess, I don't know if it's nice or not, but in quote, normal person. Mm-hmm. But just saying this incredible, incredible, incredible thing happened to me. And it just, uh, again, she told the same story. Very consistent, very consistent. And just, you know, when you see, specifically when you see something in, buddy in person, mm-hmm. you know, you can usually tell if they're snowing you. She was not snowing me. I believe this happened. Uh, basically, uh, it's a case where <laughs> a woman and her friend may have gotten like sucked into another dimension or something. It's a very Twilight zone story. Yeah. And uh, maybe my all-time favorite. But again, these people you know, most, if not all, are telling the truth. I really believe that. Oh, I do too. And that story is just so interesting. Because they were at a concert, if my memory remembers right, they're at a concert, they're driving, and she had to use the restroom, and they end up finding this place open after hours that wasn't supposed to be open. Three or four o'clock in the morning. And so she goes there and it's uh, her and her friend, Bob, and and it's open and they're amazed. It's like three o'clock in the morning, yeah. but they go in, uh, he gets something from the bar. She goes restroom, comes back and everybody's acting really weird. All the people, they're kind of smiling blankly and stuff. Mm-hmm. And her friend Bob said, boy, I'm glad we're here because, and by the way, this place exists. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the mural is real that I'm going to tell you about. And this is a late-breaking detail. Just recently, T.I. went back. Really? And sent, and sent me a picture. Yes. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, she did go back again. But anyway, I'll, I'll try to go through it fast because it's a long story. But basically what happened is uh, they were sitting there. It was just kind of odd. People were kind of odd. Uh, they had this beautiful Willertzer um, jukebox, you know, the bubbler type. Mm-hmm. So. Some guy starts playing Chubby Checkers Let's Twist again and comes up to ask T.I. to dance. But T.I. has a cane and she says, no, no, I don't dance much. And she said she had was glad she could use that as an excuse. But anyway, her friend Bob said, I'm really glad we're here because there's this Old West mural, like life-size mural. It takes up this whole wall. I'd heard about this before, always wanted to see it. And they were like, uh, and we have actually photos of this in the, the video. It's real because the researcher Chad Lewis went up there and took photos ah. and shared them. With me. So anyway, the they were like, you know, what they used to call dance hall girls. I don't know if that's the politically correct term, but that's what they used to call them. Mm-hmm. Cowboys, bartender, different things. And then they noticed the people in painting were actually represented by the people in the bar. It was the same people. Oh, and at first they're like, oh, gosh, that's kind of weird. Then they thought, oh, you know, it's easily explained. These are people who are regulars and this this painter paid tribute to them in an homage. <laughs> so anyway, it's just kind of a weird vibe. And they keep looking at the painting and looking at the painting. And they notice these double swinging doors, you know, like they used to have in the old Western yeah. movies. The guy would go through the swinging door and say, I'm Bart and I want to see so-and-so, you know. <laughs> they're going to have a shootout. <laughs> So anyway, they see this, but they notice something they didn't notice that wasn't there before. Two like misty columns. 
And they talk a little bit, and that's kind of weird. We didn't notice that. And they look at it a little bit more, and it's developed in further, like a Polaroid picture. Mm-hmm. And one's a little taller, or one's taller, and one's shorter. And then they talk to Bohr, and one's a man, one's a woman. Uh-huh. And they continue to look, and the woman it develops more. The woman has boots, and T.I. has boots. And the woman has curly hair. T.I. has curly hair. And the woman has a cane. Oh. And then Bob and T.I. say, we better get out of here. They leave. Now, the the place was jumping. There was music. Mm-hmm. There was neon signs. As they get up to go, they're all like waving, come back, come back. They close the door. Everything goes pitch black. Ooh. So much so, T.I. can't see. Bob goes, gets the car. They get in and they leave. Now, T.I. is braver than me because, you know, the thought is, did we just escape like the twilight zone? I, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> she goes back with, I think, her sister a few nights later. Ah. Walks into place. Now, it's not three o'clock in the morning. It's like eight o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. So uh, they go in and she goes to look at the jukebox. And sure enough, there's a jukebox there. It is not a Wurlitzer jukebox with old records. It is, for that time, a modern jukebox with CDs. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, no chubby checker and let's twist again. She goes up and talks to the bartender, who's a young woman. Mm-hmm. So, hey, I was in here the other night. You know, there was a great, uh, a great bartender, young, good-looking kid, kind of like a farm boy-looking kid. Where's he tonight? And she's like, I don't know who you're talking about. I'm sorry. I was here the other night, the night you're talking about. We closed it. At midnight, and there's nobody that tends bar here by that description. It's just me and my elderly father. And with that, T.I. left, and she wasn't back until just this month earlier. So what did they run into? Did they run into some kind of parallel universe, some kind of other dimension? I don't know, but I believe it happened. That's like spooky. That like it is. That's why I always tell people to me. stay spooky. <laughs> <laughs> I would be like, I'd walk out. I'd be like, well, I'm not coming back. <laughs> yeah, I would walk out once. That would be it. I'm like, um, <laughs> there used to be this really old movie with Don Knotts. You play Barney, Barney Fife on the Andy Griffith show yes. called The Ghost and Mr. Chicken. Oh, and I yes. would be Mr. I would be Mr. Chicken. <laughs> Uh, I would be too on that one. I just like the safety of the mic, D, the safety of the mic, <laughs> sitting behind the mic talking about the spooky stuff. Um, and, I, you know, I'm not a paranormal investigator I, uh, because I actually, to be honest with you, I think there's some value being a little bit disconnected with it. Absolutely. Yes. And talking to people about it who are experts and do this kind of thing. Uh, I think it provides kind of a different perspective than being too much of it. So it's yes. not just the fact that, uh, and I'm not, a, you know, and I'm not as terrified as I'm making out, but uh, although I, I probably wouldn't have went back to the roadhouse alone, but <laughs> I think there's some perspective of not being someone who goes out every weekend and paranormal investigates and then does right. a podcast. I mean, I think there's places for that and that's great. But for me, I like to have a little bit of arm's length. So I don't fall into, oh, I believe in that theory, but not mm-hmm. that theory. I like to be more kind of well-rounded and and more of a, uh, almost a, even though I'm, you know, I don't claim to be a journalistic uh, journalist, but have more of a journalistic arm's length and and looking at it a little bit from afar. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't ghost hunt either. I just, I'm like you. I like, I like to talk to people about it, but going out there and, and plus I don't have time. Right. Not to say I wouldn't go out on like one thing here or there or, you know, to go uh, along. I've done a couple little things, Mm -hmm. but I just don't see it as something I would want to do long term or be a participant. I'd like be more of an observer. Right. I agree. Um, I've been to quite a few things. I just it's not I'm not oriented that way. I like to like talk to people. I like to dig around and see and everybody fascinates me, so I'm too curious about how other people feel about it. And I also right. like the scientific end of parapsychology so much. Oh, yes. And that's something, to be honest with you, I feel like we've lost a little bit. Yes. You know, I think years ago, we were talking um, 
a little bit about like in search of and stuff like that. I think the look at the parapsychology end of it and actually laboratory experiments and stuff used to be bigger in the 70s and 80s, for example. And that's kind of totally gone away. Yeah. Uh, a guy I would highly, a couple of people I'd highly recommend if you're interested in that sort of thing are Lloyd Auerbach. Yeah. who uh, was my first guest ever on the Paranormal Podcast back in 2005 and just spoke. Uh, I mean, he's been on the shows uh, several times throughout the years, but most recently I interviewed him for the, the 18th anniversary of uh, the Paranormal Podcast uh, a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, also Dr. Dean Radin, who has done uh, a lot of interesting uh, work on more of the parapsychology end of it. I think that's something, you know, again, I don't want to cast aspersions and the paranormal ghost hunting shows are fine. And, you know, people want to go out and responsibly quote ghost hunt. That's fine. Paranormal investigate. But I would like to see some more pay attention paid to the serious parapsychologists like Raiden, like Lloyd Auerbach and those people. I think yes. they don't get nearly enough attention these days. Yeah. I interviewed Barry Taff the other night. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. He was interesting. I really enjoyed that interview. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I agree. I wish there were more of that going around. I think that would uh, that would be a great. And I know the pendulum and most things tend to swing. So hopefully it'll swing back a little bit that way as time goes on. I hope so, too. Um, now, Jim, do you have a fascination with UFOs as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was very encouraged this last summer with the fact that there was that congressional commission where it seemed like we were getting closer to some answers on yes. that. Uh, but then, you know, it just seemed like the wheels fell off, you know, mm -hmm. uh, politicians kind of do what politicians will do. <laughs> there was, uh, there's also efforts to discredit uh, the whistleblower, the UAP UFO whistleblower, David Grush, mm -hmm. which I think were kind of unfair. Uh, so yes, I am absolutely interested in the UFO uh, question probably nearly as much as I am the question of ghosts and the afterlife. I think yeah. the afterlife is my number one interest because it is truly the universal subject. It impacts everybody. Oh, there absolutely. are no exceptions. Yeah. But um, as far as UFOs go, I, I believe it's very likely that there is there are extraterrestrials. Uh, I think it's very possible they have been here. Mm -hmm. uh, now, if somebody says, you know, I have tea every third Thursday of the month <laughs> with the aliens, maybe I'm a little more skeptical. But I do believe there's something to it. And um, I think that our government, uh, you know, knows a lot more than they're letting on. Oh, I agree. Of course they do. Of course they do. They have to. It's just. Yeah. I mean, it's in history books. It's in artwork these crafts that's oh, yeah. what's so interesting it's on cave drawing so i'm like yes there's something yes. else out there absolutely i believe that a hundred percent i do believe that and um you know I, I i mean i am a great respecter of understanding the need for things like national security and i understand uh that there need to be some things that are kept secret but this is a big enough thing that I think that we should be told some information about what's really going on. And what I think is going on right now is I think you have kind of a struggle within government because people mm -hmm. talk about the government and they think the government, it's one big monolith and it's all, you know, they all move in the same way and they have all the same belief and all the same motivation. And I disagree. I feel that the government is made up of factions of people, mm. if anybody's ever, you know, anybody has ever worked in business knows if you're in business, you know, there may be company XYZ, but within that company, there's, you know, there's clicks, mm. there's uh, groups of people and groups of people have different motivations, uh, different desires, uh, different goals. And I think with our government, you have at least two groups, if not more. And one of the groups is the one that I think is traditionally kind of held the day is uh, we know stuff and we're not letting it out, period. Right. These people have no right to know, no need to know, and we are going to keep the secrets for whatever reason they feel it's appropriate to keep them. <laughs> I think now at least we have another faction in government yeah. that's saying, hey, we need to start disclosing some of this. 
uh, you know, Representative Burchett, and again, not getting political, but Representative Burchett uh, and Representative Moskowitz, what I loved about that is one was a Republican, one was a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Representative Burchett, uh, sitting on the panel, said there had been a multi-decade cover-up. Sitting on the panel, a congressional panel. Yeah. Uh, and then rep- that was the Republican. The Democrat, Moskowitz, said it was time for disclosure. Yeah. Now, again, and then I turned to my other cable channels and all they were talking about were Biden and Trump, which was mm. so maddening because they should have been covering this. Yeah. But uh, the, the, the point the point is. Is that I think there are people in government who are holding on to the secrets very tightly and they are not going to give up easily. And I think luckily we do have some people now who want to get some of the truth out. I'm still somewhat skeptical that those people will win out. I still think the secret keepers will win out, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe some of the secrets will come out. I certainly hope so. I do too. I I think too many people have seen things and they keep denying and denying. Yes. So they need to let us know what is going on. Right. And and, Mm. and I'm not saying give us military secrets or those kind of things. I mean, there's, Some things have to be kept secret, in my opinion. But this is something big enough that humanity should know about it. Yeah. We should know. If there are extraterrestrials, be they friendly, not friendly, or a little bit of both, we should know. Yes, absolutely. I agree 100% on that one. Absolutely. Now, Jim, you've had so many guests on. What, What is one of the guests that you appreciated that you admired so much? And that's a hard, I know that's a hard question because you've had so many amazing people on your show. Well, I think it would go back to Rosemary Ellen Guiley and I'll tell you why. Also Brad Steiger, who had written many, many books going back to the fifties on Mm -hmm. uh, the supernatural, everything from the, again, the wide tent, everything from ghosts to UFOs, Uh, probably him and Rosemary Ellen Guiley, because I thought that they, they did something that's very tricky, and you kind of hinted maybe I do a little bit of the same thing, mm-hmm. is that you have a balance. Uh, both very intelligent, uh, both very well-spoken, both excellent in their product, in their books, in their writing, um, very serious, but yet had a space for wonder. Yes. So I guess it would be those two. Unfortunately, they're both no longer with us, but their books yeah. survive. I highly recommend the books of Rosemary, Ellen Guiley, and Brad Steiger. And those would be probably my top two. Um, I don't know if I could pick one from the other. And there's other people that are going on in their tradition and doing great things. Sure. Uh, but those are the two that stand out. I mean, if somebody could say, you know, somebody has passed on and you could have them back on the show, those would, those would be the two so they could share all the answers with us now. Um, those, those folks were great for much the same reasons. They were friendly, kind people in my experience. Yeah. Um, they were very good at their job and very hard workers, uh, but yet left that space for wonder. That's kind of what I want to do. Yes. I want to be good at what I do. I want to be serious, but yet have and keep space for wonder. And uh, to have that mental space to say, we don't understand everything and maybe kind of be comfortable with that. Yeah, I agree. Yes. And you do that very, very well, by the way. Well, thank you. Very well. So with that being said, since it is Halloween, what is the spookiest guest you've ever had on? Ooh, the spookiest guest. Yikes. I don't know if I have an answer for that. I don't know if there was the spookiest guest. Uh, we did have a gentleman by the name of Adam Blyon. And actually, we repeated, we're not repeating, but we're, uh, by this is out, and he talked about exorcism in the Catholic Church. Oh. And, I mean, he comes from a very... Uh, frankly, a religious background, and he has very strong opinions, but spooky in the sense that, um, as far as the Catholic Church is concerned, uh, yeah. possession is real. It's not just something from the movies. So I think that um, 
because I am a person, you know, some people, and, and I don't know where you fall in this. I don't know where other people fall in this. And I respect everybody's belief. Mm-hmm. My belief is that the paranormal, the supernatural is just like our everyday life, right? Right. You know, you will meet some of the kindest, nicest people out there. They're great. And then you will meet some of the meanest <laughs> SOBs. Yes. <laughs> and they both exist. And I think that way about the spirit world. Sure. Yep. I think that there are great, sweet, benevolent spirits, possibly angels, our loved ones who look over us. I think that's all very real. And then I think there are real SOBs. Yes. And hearing somebody like Bly talk about, even if you don't buy into his particular view of religion, or maybe you think that he's a little too uh, much, Mm -hmm. um, it does make you think you've got a major religion like Catholicism Mm -hmm. that says possession of people with evil spirits is not just a movie. You know, uh, there are dedicated exorcists. He's... uh, I don't know what his exact title is, but he's a layperson who is an expert on exorcism. So this isn't just a fairy tale and it isn't just Linda Blair. And to realize that that is really out there and that is really real. That's spooky. And it's not even spooky in a cool way. It's kind of spooky and like, yikes. Yeah. But (laughs) I would think in some ways that might be the spookiest guest. Yeah, I understand. I grew up with Catholicism that. That is a that's a scary, scary thought. One hundred percent, absolutely. Yep. So, Jim, what would be your dream guest if you could interview one person? Ooh. Oh, that's tough. Because I mean, in terms of what I do, one of my dream guests would have been, and it's impossible at this time unless <laughs> we figure something out. But Art Bell. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Art Bell um, and maybe, and it's amazing, but there are younger people who don't know who Art Bell was. But Art Bell basically invented the paranormal yeah. talk genre with Coast to Coast AM uh, in the 90s. And he's kind of like, and again, I'm going to mention another name maybe younger people are familiar with, but Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson oh. didn't invent show, but he was the guy, when you see all these guys doing their talk shows now mm-hmm. late night. They're basically doing their own take on The Tonight Show on The Johnny Carson Show. And I feel that way about paranormal talk for the most part. That people, when they do sit behind a mic and talk about the paranormal uh, in kind of this format, they're kind of doing their version of The Art Bell Show. Uh, And not that I could ever be anywhere near as good as art or anything. I, I just can, I can't be art bell. I can only be the just best Jim Harold I can be, but I would love to like pick his brain and then just say, okay, art spill the beans. What did you think about all this stuff for all these years? Where do you yeah. fall? What do you think? You know, um, kind of what you're doing a little bit with me. I would yeah. love to have the opportunity <laughs> to do that. Unfortunately, I got to interview his successor, George Norrie, and that was great. Mm-hmm. And I've had re- Spirit, who has uh, been uh, is a host on that show. I've had uh, Dave Schrader, who also hosted that show. Some great people on, but I would love to talk to the man himself, Art Bell. That would have been my dream guest, and it just uh, you know it never uh, it never came to pass, and it's a real shame. But uh, wherever you are, Art, thanks a lot. <laughs> yes, he was amazing, amazing, yes. and man, what a loss. Yep. 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 He, uh, and, and that voice and Mm -hmm. just, uh, I mean, there was nothing like listening to Art Bell at, uh, you know, uh, about one o'clock in the morning driving on a two lane road, you know, (laughs) yep. Coming back from a gig. It was so evocative. So evocative. Oh, I used to love to listen to that driving in the nineties. Yeah, he was great. I put on a lot of miles listening to him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are Gen X. <laughs> we are indeed, and proud of it. So, you know, one fat person that's fascinated me, and you interviewed him, was Whitley Strieber. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, Talking about coincidence, when I was 18, I was at a supermarket, and that book fell or got pushed into my cart. Communion? Yes. 
Yeah, but that uh, iconic cover with oh, the yes. alien gray. Ooh. And I tell you, I did not sleep well for the next week. Um, I've interviewed Whitley a couple of times, and the most, the kind of the, the and I actually used it because we did an 18th anniversary and mm-hmm. pulled a bunch of clips. Actually, it ended up to be like three or four hours we did it in two parts because there were so many different clips over the last 18 years. But one was from Whitley where he talked about what his wife mm. said about the uh, visitors. I think he calls them the visitors. Yes. He doesn't call them. He doesn't call them aliens. He doesn't call them ATs. But his wife, Anne, who has since passed as well, said something like, this whole phenomena has something to do with death. And um, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to categorize that because that goes totally against everything I've always believed about UFOs and, quote, aliens. Right. But they kept getting um, letters and things from people who talked about the coincidence of having these experiences, then getting messages from dead relatives and those kind mm-hmm. of things. Now, again... And I think that's one some of the value of doing and listening to shows like this is sometimes it takes you outside of your comfort zone. Yes. Like to me, that doesn't make any sense. To me, it's like UFOs or aliens. Come on. That's what they are. Let's, it's like <laughs> maybe, but maybe not. Mm-hmm. Maybe all of this stuff I've, Brad Steiger once told me he thought a lot of this stuff was connected in some way. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know the answer. And I think being able to sit in that uncomfortableness is kind of valuable for yes. us in the sense that we understand we don't have it all figured out. Right. His books always put me on edge. Always. Yeah. yeah I would say the same thing for interviewing him. And I don't mean that as an insult. I mean yeah. it in as a good way because it takes you outside your comfort zone. Yeah. He did a, um, a show not that long ago. And he talked about his wife quite a bit. And of course, that made me just feel really sad for him. Just sad, you know? Sure, when you sure. you lose your spouse. I'm, I'm so close to my Of course. I can't imagine. And um, it was a very uncomfortable, things he was saying was almost uncomfortable. It was on that edge, you know, right. of it made sense to me completely. But yet the idea of just them being aliens makes me more comfortable than that crossover. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Wow. I bet he was, I listened to that. I listened to both of those shows that you did with him. and I really, really enjoyed them. Thank you. Now, Jim, what is next for you? I know, Cassandra, your daughter has a show, which is incredible, and I highly recommend it. She's got a great voice. Yeah, she did a lot of um, drama work in high school and college. Yeah. One award. And now she's, uh, you know, she's continuing on her education and going into the medical field. But uh, we said, why don't you, you know, use some of that talent? So she's doing a show now called Unpleasant Dreams for us. And basically what she's doing, it started off kind of as my vision, which was her talking about kind of a paranormal case, famous case every week, which I thought was a cool idea. And I may still do something with that concept. But she said, Dad... That isn't really for me. What I love is literature, classic literature. Uh And I mean, she has like three huge bookcases of books. She collects books. She loves books. So we came to the idea of, okay, let's recast Unpleasant Dreams as um, you retelling classic horror stories. Mm -hmm. So uh, she's done enough number of them, including The Monkey's Paw and... uh, uh, probably by the time this is out, she's doing, doc, uh, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And it's just great retellings. And they're really extremely high quality. She's very talented with character voices and things. And mm-hmm. it's like, uh, wow, you you missed your calling. And and I hope people listen to that. It's called Unpleasant Dreams. Oh, also, doing a bunch, I'm doing a fun show with my wife called You Won't Believe What Happened to Me, where we talk about wild experiences that have happened to our audience that are not paranormal. And also we throw in some hard to believe news stories and that's a lot of fun doing that with her. And then we, of course we do all of our plus shows. Mm-hmm. I'm doing stuff on YouTube, just a, a really busy time. And honestly, I think I'm just going to keep doing more of the same. I mean, yeah. uh, 
figure I'm thinking I got another 15 years left in me in terms of <laughs> maybe uh, more. Well, maybe more, but uh, I don't want to wear out my welcome. But I think, you know, if I could do, uh, if I could at least get over 30 years of paranormal podcasting, and that would be a pretty good uh, mark. I think at this point, we're over 25, with the Plus Club included, we're well over 2,500 episodes, 65 million downloads. Wow. So if I could, if I could put another um, 15 years on the clock, still doing a high quality show, I don't want to... You know, I don't right. want to go past my prime. Uh, if we could put in another 15 years, I mean, that that sounds like it's a nice uh, round number. So, you know, knock on wood, you know, it always goes off of the health and everything. But I hope to be doing this for a long, long time to come. I hope so, because I enjoy listening to you. And everybody, you need to check out his Amazon merch store. He also has five books out camp are they campfire books is that correct yeah that's yeah. uh the mausoleum of merch jim harold's mausoleum yes. of merch uh we're doing you know stay spooky because we own the trademark on that stay spooky uh because somebody else i saw was going to take it's like i've been using this for years before you <laughs> so we decided to trademark stay spooky and so we have stay spooky shirts we have uh books from uh the guests which is really nice to be able to go in. it's like a paranormal bookstore you can go in and find all the different books from the guests and we're building that trying to get it all the way back to 2005 uh and uh just uh, even things like podcasting equipment, because people always ask me what equipment you use. So it's a lot of fun. It's called Jim Harold's uh, Mausoleum of Merch. You can find that at jimherald.com slash merch slash merch. We have the five campfire books, as you said, as yes. well, that each have about 70 campfire stories in them from the show. Most importantly, I would just hope people would listen to the shows and give them a try. Jim Harold's Campfires, usually where most people start. That's the spooky story show. And then the Paranormal Podcast. And you can find those on all the major podcast apps and at jimherald.com. Ah, Jim, it's been an honor. And I really want to thank you for coming on and taking time away from, you know, your family on a Friday night. Thank you so much. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Dee, and stay spooky. You too, Jim. Good night. <laughs>